How do you come to terms with the loss of a significant person in your life? What can you do to overcome the grief? Can you create a purposeful new chapter in your life? How do you start navigating life again when everything and everyone around you remind you of that loss? Join me after the intro for a conversation with a very special friend with whom we will try and answer these and many more questions on grieving for the loss of someone we care about. Stay tuned. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure what that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is it so difficult to truly forgive? How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rosanna D, and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and not judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Trash Show. Today we talk about significant losses and how we can adjust and continue living afterwards a significant life. That affects everyone. The loss of a partner or a child or a parent of a friend can be incredibly difficult and very painful experience. It is possibly one of the most intense emotional experiences of one's lifetime. So how do we deal with that grief? How do we move forward? But also, if wanted to support someone going through grief, what is the best way to provide that support? What should we say or do? How can we show up as supporting and caring as we want to be? Despite being something that we all experience at some point or another, talking about the grief that follows a significant loss is still quite difficult, or perhaps even a taboo in our society. And grief is often profoundly misunderstood. So today we want to explore this topic in a conversation with Shirley Thyssen, who has joined us from Canada. Shirley is a grieving mom, a grief coach, a speaker, and an author. And she published the book, The Little Black Funeral Dress, Five Things I Wish I Had Known About Grief. Her mission with this book is to share a story for the purpose of lending hope to the brokenhearted. Because by educating the relational circles with best practices, it is possible to effectively support the griever long after the funeral. Hi, Shirley. Welcome to the Forgiven Try Show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you for inviting me into this conversation. Uh, a great pleasure on my side, uh, really. Shirley, uh, as I said, I'm very grateful for you to be uh, with us, especially to talk about a topic that is so private and so intimate like the loss of uh, a significant person in our life. Mm-hmm. Can we just start with you? What happened and what was your journey into grief? Sure. 
Well, I will bring you into the year 2012. So my husband, Carrie, and I have a son, Jordan, and a daughter, Chantel. And in the fall of 2012, our daughter was 20 years old in her third year of university. Our son was a recent grad, and he had recently landed a career job in our city. And as a 23-year-old, he uh, found his, his sweetheart, and he got married on October 6th. Well, shortly after the wedding, my husband and I went down to California, and we were reviewing all the, the wonderful things that kind of led up to that wedding and the milestones of that year, and just so grateful for all that God had blessed us with. Like other parents do, we had invested so much love, time, prayer, energy, and money into our son. And now he was gainfully employed, happily married, and off our payroll. Life was great. Well, October 18th, that day, I, it was a beautiful day, and I was determined I was going to spend the afternoon at the pool with a good book, just relaxing. But first, I needed to run an errand. Um, I needed to buy something for our kitchen condo. And I determined that day that I would shop like my husband does, you know, just in and out. Find it, buy it, take it home, done. But as I entered the store, I was quickly distracted by a rack of dresses on clearance. Forgetting that I was in a hurry, I went over to have just a quick look. There was a black dress that clearly did not belong on this rack. But I remember holding it on the hanger and looking at it thinking, oh, I love the design. The fabric was so soft. It was had a beautiful lining. Everything about it I liked, but it wasn't my size. I didn't need a dress. I put it back. And as I started to walk away, I heard these words. I want you to buy that black dress. You are going to a funeral. Well, my head whipped around to see who said that. There were people in the store, but no one was near me. Confused, I continued to walk away, but this time I could read the words in my head like a news ticker. Before I knew it was happening, I'm in the change room, standing in front of this full-length mirror, wearing the dress. It felt so comfortable, kind of like a hug. But my rational thought was this. I don't know anyone who has recently died. I have no funeral to attend. Besides, I already have a black dress in my closet. Like, what am I doing? But that message repeated. You know, my rational thought was, I, I shouldn't be doing this. But I have heard God's whisper to my spirit. I felt his nudges, but never before did I receive such a bold directive. I could not avoid it. I bought the dress, unsure to whose funeral I was meant to wear it. Well, I didn't have long to wait. Just a few hours after that shopping trip, a California police officer was at the door of our condo. Within a few minutes, my worst nightmare started to unfold. Our son Jordan, 23 years old, married for only 12 days, had been killed in a workplace accident. It took me a few minutes to connect the dots. That black dress, the one I just bought. Now I knew to whose funeral I was meant to wear it. My son's funeral. And I sobbed 
in disbelief. But you know, at the same time, it felt like such a tangible gift from my Heavenly Father. I am a Christ follower, and I believe that God is my Heavenly Father who loves me and guides me even in pain. And there's actually a Bible verse that came to my mind that day from Deuteronomy 31.8 that says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. That black dress was a tangible expression of God saying, I'm with you. I know this is a shock to you, but I am with you on this grief journey. And wearing that dress gave me courage to give a 23-minute tribute to my 23-year-old son at his funeral, my darkest day. Well, uh, I, I learned about this story uh, when we first met, and I have to say uh, I'm shriveling uh, once again. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite shocking because it's very difficult to get prepared, uh, especially when you as a parent have to say goodbye to, to your child. There is a, a natural way where things go, right? We always assume that parents leave before their children. Yes. So how was that thought? Uh, how did it land it to you? Yes, absolutely. Well, it's out of order, right? We never anticipate that we will ever bury a child. In fact, um, just a few months before Jordan died, I, I said to my son, hey, I want you to know that I've written down everything that I want done for my funeral. I'm a little bit of a control freak. So I had written down in detail all the things that I wanted done. And, and I remember him looking at me with a twinkle in his eye and teasing and saying, mom, you'll be dead. We can do whatever we want. And I was so fixated on just preparing him for my death. I never thought to ask him what he wanted for his funeral because we never think we're gonna go there, that that'll be anything that we will anticipate. And when you lose a child, you're not just losing him in that event, you're losing your future. So, I will never experience uh, the grandchildren that I felt like Jordan owed me. And uh, I was looking forward to watching him be a father. I was wondering, like, is he going to parent like his dad and, you know, have those qualities? Or is he going to take over like myself? Or, you know, what is he going to be like as a dad? And I couldn't wait to watch that unfold. And what was he going to be like as a husband? And, you know, what was his future going to be? And we really enjoyed vacationing together as a family and one of the notes he sent us just shortly after the wedding was oh I, I'm so glad that you know we're still going to be able to vacation together and and so those those things that we so value in our family were now shattered because Jordan wouldn't be there. It's uh, obviously very very sad but you decided to write a book and uh, to put in words the experience that you had, which is uh, something that I found extremely brave. It, it takes a lot of courage to deep dive into that pain 
and, and take it out to help others understanding the journey that you went through, but also to prepare them for uh, a similar journey should they be in that situation. What made you decide uh, to do that? When did you feel that you had to support others? Right. Well, for a time after Jordan died, I am embarrassed to tell you that I fell into this pit of bitterness. I was so angry at God. Um, I know he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's loving. But this had been allowed to happen. And after a while, you know, bitterness makes people ugly. And I could see how it was making me ugly. And uh, some friends of mine uh, purchased a, a sign uh, from a gift store. And it says, be the kind of woman that when your feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh, crap, she's up. And that sign made me laugh. But it also was kind of a kick in the pants because I thought, am I that woman that I am a, a menace to the enemy? The, and so I thought, you know what? I'm actually participating with the enemy of my soul by staying in bitterness. That is not serving me. It's not serving anyone else. So that sign actually was sort of the catalyst for me to change my focus and say, you know what? I don't like what's happened. I I disagree with God's plan for this, but, but I recognize he is God and I am not. So I'm going to serve others in whatever capacity I can to lend hope to those who are also hurting. And so um, writing that book was difficult for me because I am naturally a very private person. And when you put your words onto print, suddenly it's just out there. But my desire to help others who are grieving sort of uh, superseded my fear. And so I wrote, I wrote this book because I know there's people like the younger me who did not really think about grief and loss, who did not know the physical things that you would face and anticipate, that would not understand the changes to your family circles, your, your friendship circles, how this would affect you for the rest of your life. And I determined that I was not going to be bitter, but I was going to lean into being a better version of me. And so that meant serving others. And so that's what really prompted the book. That's absolutely beautiful. So for all the parents out there, whether they uh, are going through a, a period of uh, uh, grief and uh, they are experiencing something that you went through or any other parent for that matter who wants to get a little bit ready uh, past me, uh, this expression, what would you advise them to, to do? I would say seek out safe friends because one thing that grief needs, it needs to be um, shared. And that feels so counterintuitive when you're in pain. I, I find that the, my, my default was to just go insular, just to isolate. Um, but we need, we need safe friends who will do four things that will just listen to us, just share our hurt and our sorrow and talk about our child. And, and then they need to um, 
We need people who will acknowledge the loss, that will validate that our feelings are real, who will ask us about our son, mention their name, who we need people who will pray for us because this is too great of a burden. Uh, We need God's help. And then lastly, we need people who will just be patiently present. And so if you don't find those people in your life, those safe people, as I've described, um, you need to seek them out because they are there, but sometimes they're not the people you thought were. You mentioned the disfattled, the needs on one end and finding someone that can help you. Not everybody is, uh, is ready or is able to provide that help. Why do you think it's so difficult to, I don't know, be compassionate perhaps or accepting of what happened and, and just support the other person? What, what is that stop most of us being so present with the other person in that moment? Well, it's our fear, isn't it, that that prevents us from leaning in to someone else's pain. I mean, grief is messy. There's there's not, no two ways about it. And it's only for those who are courageous who can step into that being and just sit with us in our sadness. And, you know, I think one thing that really um, helped me to kind of feel more courageous about coming alongside my grieving friends is that it is not my job to fix their pain. I can't. But it is my responsibility and my honor to help carry the pain. And the way we carry someone else's pain is expressing empathy. And empathy is different from sympathy. So empathy is being with, feeling with someone. Sympathy is just feeling for them. Sympathy is kind of like a passive pity. It's like, oh, that's too bad. Um, It's holding the griever at an arm's length. Empathy, on the other hand, is sitting with them in that darkness who sharing tears just saying I don't even know what to say but I am so sorry and I am with you because more than anything that person who has is grieving and has this tremendous loss they need to know that they are not alone they need to know that you are with them and that is such a gift so I would encourage anyone who just feels like oh I'm not sure what to say what to do you really don't have to say much. All you need to say is, I care about you. Tell me about your pain. I'm here to listen. That is, uh, that is beautiful. And it doesn't take very, uh, very long time just to express that. And one of the things um, that I remember, I lost my dad to cancer a few decades ago now. But one of the things was that I remember was some of the friends I had at the time sort of procrastinating in coming back to me and in, uh, you know, just being there for me. My question is, is there ever a good time for it? You know, Mm. is there a good time to go back to that person and say, you know, I'm here for you? You know, I think we need to err on the side of compassion and and not and choose not to be offended if someone says, you know, I just I just can't have you around right now. Um, check in with them later and later and later. I know some people who have said, you know, I, I tried three times with my grieving friend to reach out to them and they kind of just kept me at arm's length and 
kind of dismissed me. And so like, Hey, I tried, I'm going to give up now. And I'm like, please don't like, please um, remember that this grief journey is a lifetime of altering to this reality. So yes, there might be a season where they just don't want anyone around and you respect that, but don't let that deter you from trying again and again and again. And here's a good reason why we need to do that is because one day we're going to need someone who is patiently present with us. So practice that with your grieving friends. And um, in, in that way, you're almost training them up to do that for you when you need them. I love it. In fact, you say it's not if, but when. Right? Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's like we're today we're talking about losing a child or a loved one. But there are so many other losses that people are grieving right now loss of a job, loss of their dreams and plans, like the pandemic has upended people all over the world. Loss of our identity, um, loss of our, our dreams, loss of significant relationship. I mean, the vaccination issue has divided families, estranged friends. These are all things that we need to grieve. Absolutely. Actually, um, I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, uh, I lost my, my dad uh, several decades ago, and I remember the immediate time uh, after that. There were so many things uh, to do and uh, to attend and uh, people visiting. And I remember uh, me just being 20 at the time, trying to say the right thing, trying to do the right thing, behaving like, uh, you know, the sort of perfect daughter in that situation. And I hardly had any time to process what had just happened. I had lost my, my dad. And uh, I remember uh, I cried a little when that happened. Uh, it, it happened right in front of me. But then for many days, I was just busy that I couldn't cry. How important it is to consider that? And, and trying to take some time to process things when, when they happen uh, and not to postpone them. Yes, for sure. Well, first of all, I want to say how sorry I am for the loss of your dad. That must have been so traumatic. Um, and, it, you know, there's such a special relationship between a daddy and his little girl. And, um, yeah, I, I am so sorry for your loss. And you're, you've, you've really raised a really good point that um, be, we're all unique in how we grieve. Um, just as our fingerprint is unique to us, our grief journey will be unique. However, there is one way that is completely wrong on how you should grieve, and that is to suppress it, to push it away, to ignore it, because it will bubble up later and erupt in very unhealthy ways at some point. But there is, um, like you say, there's a very t busy time kind of around the funeral when people are coming around you and you, you're just trying to get through the, the, all the details that are related to a loss and a death. I know for us with Jordan, it took months 
to go through all of that, like canceling his phone and his insurance, like, oh, this, all the details is crazy. So it's almost like you're postponing your grief a little bit, but it's so important to actually make time to grieve. It is hard work. It's exhausting work, but it is so necessary. And so for some people, that means just spending time looking at pictures and reliving memories and just crying through all that is lost or what you had and cherishing that, but also speaking to people about it. It, grief needs motion. It needs movement. And so part of that movement comes from when we talk and express our feelings out loud. Um, it's, it's just so healthy for us not to bottle it up inside. So if I understand correctly, what you are suggesting is, even though at the very beginning you feel like, as you said, bottling things up and avoid... Uh, even talking about it, the best thing, in fact, is exactly the contrary, trying to, to talk about and uh, uh, get friends and, uh, and, and not shy away. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I know it feels very counterintuitive for many people because they just are in so much pain. They can't imagine doing that. But it, you know, even taking baby steps toward that. It could be just one person. Just find one safe person you can share it with um, to talk it out loud. And sometimes you don't even know what you're thinking until you speak it. And so I know that for myself, I found it so helpful when people would just listen to me because it helped me untangle some of the thoughts I had. And it helped me to find a path forward. It wasn't that they said anything profound, but because they were listening and allowed me to speak, I go, oh, okay, then the next step should be this. And I kind of came to it with their help, but not, but only by them listening. I love that. And for someone who is instead on the other side, you know, if you have like a friend that is going through that grief, what is the best practice? Because sometimes we want to uh, almost shake them to bring them back to life. But at the same time, we want to be respectful of that moment. So it's a very difficult balance. What do you do? How can you uh, nicely move them back to a more normal life? Well, I think um, one thing you need to remember that, and this is something that the younger me did not understand, the younger me before my son died, was that the only people who think grief has a timeline are those who have never been devastated by a loss. So please don't project what you think, where you think that griever should be. Um, You know, I used to think that, you know, after a year, you're pretty good. Like you should be moving on and, um, you know, crying, maybe not as much. And, and like, really, is it necessary to talk about them anymore? (laughs) Like I just had all these misconceptions. I'm so embarrassed to say out loud. So I would say, allow the griever to lead you as the friend, as being, let them determine how and when you're going to, what they want to share and what they want to do. And so if they don't want to talk, don't force it, but do make yourself available all the time. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot to do about just letting that griever lead you and being kindly curious 
about their loss. Um, not forcing them to tell you more than they want to, but always being available when they're ready. Yes, this uh, actually brings me to uh, two points. The first is uh, um, the, the sense of guilt that you may experience going back to a sort of more normal life, enjoying life, enjoying social uh, situations, for example. And uh, so the, the whole emotional uh, aspect. Did you experience anything like that as well? And how did yes. you do that again? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you, feel, you feel like it's disloyal to move forward when your loved one, you feel like their last day on earth was kind of when that ended. And so you almost resent, you know, the changing of the calendar and the new month and a new year. And, but then I, I just decided, you know what? My son is with me. I am taking him with me as I go into the future because every time I share my story or encourage someone else or choose to listen to someone else's pain, I'm honoring the memory of my son. And so instead of resenting time going by or engaging or laughing, um, you know, that guilt of like, oh no, I'm laughing. That mean like I'm, I'm not missing him or sad about him being gone. No, it's just, I'm honoring his life by choosing to live fully in this moment. And I think one of the things that prompted me to do that is um, after Jordan died, there were so many people that sent us messages or emails saying how Jordan had impacted their life. And I had no idea many of these stories. And I thought, my goodness, here he's only 23 years old. And yet he had chosen to be very present with people um, in various ways. That just made my heart so proud. And I thought, I want to be the best things about my son for other people. And so I just feel like I am moving forward with him by choosing to be his best qualities. I, I love that. They all say that time heals all the, the scars. Is it true also when losing someone? Well, I would say for myself, um, I will always be grieving until heaven, till when I see my son again. And time does not necessarily but it does soften the loss soften the grief so I'm almost 10 years into my grief journey and I can tell you that I miss Jordan as much or not more than I did when he first died that that feeling of needing him in my life missing him is so profound that I can see how 30 years from now I will still feel that so acutely so, yeah, I don't agree that time heals all wounds. I, I strongly disagree. I believe that it softens over time and you your capacity grows around your grief. And that is what um, time does help. But time does not help if you're going to stay in bitterness. Like that, you'll just be locked down in bitterness your whole life. That will be such a waste of a life. And so every griever has a choice. And that choice is, will I choose to be a better version of myself because what I'm learning through my grief journey.
I love that. Um, I uh, completely agree with what you're saying. And uh, I always say that uh, with time, I actually amplified the good memories. You know, mm. the, the beautiful moments that uh, I experienced with, with my dad and uh, perhaps you can relate to that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I know like this Mother's Day in Canada, Mother's Day was this last fun day. And I was in the morning, I was watching videos of my son when he was a kid. And, you know, those memories, um, I can now smile more than, I mean, there was still that eight, but I wasn't bawling through it um, like I would have in the first few years. And so that ability to see that you can actually be sad and happy, you can hold those two emotions at the same time, um, is something I never thought was possible until grief. And now I realize that that is kind of my, my mojo is being sappy, sad plus happy equals happy. <laughs> I absolutely love that. One question that I'm always uh, often asked um, when talking about uh, losing someone is, can you prepare to that loss? Now, I appreciate that, for example, my situation is different from, from yours. In, in my case, we had four years when we could potentially uh, prepare for, for that end. We knew that, uh, unfortunately, that was going to happen. Your case was so sudden that, uh, obviously, the time uh, was not there. But what would you say? Can, can you prepare to grieve? You are uh, a grief coach, so mm -hmm. perhaps, uh, uh, you know, with what you do, can, can you prepare for that? Well, I believe you can to some degree. Obviously, you can't prepare fully. But I think looking back, there were things I could have done to prepare. For example, I was so ambushed by grief because I really didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what it looked like for other people. I very, I mean, I had experienced the loss of my grandparents, but they were so eager to leave and go to heaven that, you know, there just wasn't that same um, sadness. And so one thing I did not know about grief was just how it felt like an emotional concussion. I didn't realize that there would be physical things like I lost my taste buds. I could not taste. I could not sleep. Like my whole sleep pattern was disrupted. I um, had no appetite. I I found that lights were too bright and noises were too loud. Keeping a conversation was almost impossible. I had short-term memory loss. Like all of these things are physical manifestations of grief that I did not know. And so it just compounded my loss. I thought, am I going crazy? What's happening to me? My, my legs felt weighted walking up a stairs. Suddenly I'm out of breath and I can hardly move. Like, And so I started to think, oh my goodness, is this my new reality? I don't want to live like this. This is horrible. And so I just wish I knew some of those very physical things about grief. I was desperate to know, like, when does this pain end? Like, is it a year or two years? Like somebody, please tell me, when is the end date? I did not know this. this was a lifelong alteration that would gradually I would reconcile to the grief. So there is just some very practical things about grief that I think we can know and prepare for in that regard. You, you don't have to be as naive as I was. But the other thing is 
when I ask people about their loss, uh, sometimes there is regret and there's guilt and there's sadness because the last conversation was not a good conversation. And so I would say you can prepare for grief by maintaining um, healthy relationships with those who are closest to you. That means asking for forgiveness and not procrastinating on that. Um, telling them that you love them, that making sure that you have short accounts with people, that nothing is left unsaid, undone, um, day to day, because we never know when our we'll take our last breath. Losing a son at age 23 revealed that to me. Like I was, I get, I think I lived with this just assumption that I would reach uh, to be a senior. Well, not necessarily. We, no one has that guarantee. And so I think to avoid the guilt, the, re, the regrets, just make sure that you are as good as you can be, as much as it's up to you, be, um, have healthy relationships. And then you won't have that additional compounding grief that will just give you an added weight as you're grieving the loss of a loved one. I absolutely love what you're saying. And I like the idea of having some sort of healthy way to go through uh, that, that grief. Are there other, other things that we can uh, take care of to, to live and experience that grief in a, in a way that is not disruptive or completely destructive, perhaps even, of our life? Well, I think for myself, as um, someone who loves Jesus, I know that the weight of my grief is too much for me to bear. And I have to literally surrender it to God every day. Because the if I start to think about all that I've lost and stay fixated on that, it will just weigh me down. And you can just feel the depression and the hopelessness. And so to choose to live in hope means being tethered to God, to asking him to give you the strength when you don't have the strength, just saying, I don't even know what to do or how to navigate this. And he will give ideas. He will give you people to care for you because often God uses people to show us how much he loves us. And others' love is a representation of his. And so I think surrendering is a big deal. It's to realize that we are human. We have a limited capacity, but we do have choices to make. And for me, it's the choice to surrender my pain to God every day because, <laughs> you know, not once is going to do it every day to surrender my pain to him and say, God, you're in charge. It's not, it's not me. And so, and thanking him, thanking him for what we had. Um, gratitude felt so counterintuitive to me, but that was the pathway towards healing and everyday being able to look up. And sometimes it's just simple things that I would jot down. In fact, I keep a gratitude journal because it helps me to remember all that I have to be thankful for instead of being fixated on what I don't have. 
I love is the, the idea of shifting the focus from what you have lost to what actually you had an experience and you were uh, lucky to, to have. Uh, I absolutely yes. love this idea of uh, hope uh, because uh, I think it's a, a big, uh, massive engine that moves everything. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if we lose hope, then nothing else makes sense. So I like that. And I, I believe it also connects with your idea, the hope hero, right? Yes. Yes. I, when I was um, in that pit of bitterness and I, there, I just felt like my, my hope was leaking out. And it, I, the kind, compassionate friends that came alongside us and listened to our pain and acknowledged our loss and prayed for us and were patiently be present, they were lending us hope when we didn't feel like we had any of our own. They were believing on our behalf that there would be a better day where we would be able to smile more than we cried. And it was their courage that lent us courage. And when you have someone in your corner that believes in you, who lends you hope, it is amazing how that hope becomes contagious in the very best ways. And so I, I affectionately call those friends hope heroes. Um, you know, they wouldn't maybe necessarily think of themselves as heroes, as many heroes don't. They just did what they knew they needed to do. And, but they did it courageously. And so I just, uh, they inspired me to be that for other people and to encourage everyone I talked to, to be a hope hero. And, you know, my, my youngest hope hero was a nine-year-old stranger. Um, I was speaking at a school Talk, uh, grade four children, a hundred of them. And I was just inviting them to consider how they could be a hope hero for their friends by listening, acknowledging the laws, praying and patiently be present. And, you know, kids get this. They understand uh, the importance of empathy. And so it was fun to see them like thinking, wow, I can be a hope hero and, and my superpowers are empathy and compassion. And, and you know, a a kid can't be a bully and a hope hero at the same time. So I think if we give children a mission, um, an inspiring mission that it can really change their world, their outlook, but also it could, they could um, model this for their parents and other adults. And so this nine-year-old, after I was sharing with um, the story about Jordan, he came up to me and he just looked in my eyes and he said, I'm so sorry that your son died. And, you know, I was so touched because he had waited a long time in line to talk to me. And his, his eyes just shared such empathy and love. And I, I waited because there was kind of a little bit of silence after I thanked him. And, and then he just kind of held my eyes more. And I thought, well, maybe he has more to say. But he didn't. He just, it was like he was wanting me to get it. Like, I am so sorry. And honestly, he didn't touch me, but I just felt like I got the biggest bear hug from this nine-year-old. And that just lifted my whole day. And so in simple things, people can be a hope hero. Just expressing empathy is is beautiful and is transformative. So you mentioned uh, this uh, right now, and before how you shifted 
your perspective uh, about the, the, the situation going from that moment of bitterness into uh, deciding to help others and use your own experience, your own uh, life experience to help others. How, what can we say basically to uh, other people going through a, a similar situation? How can they find their purpose in life back? And how they can turn that bitterness that perhaps they might be experiencing in something that can help others and themselves perhaps uh, before? Well, I think sometimes you look at the thing in your life that you most resent. Look at the thing that brings you the most pain and determine that you are going to make that your meaningful purpose to share that what you have, what you have found so difficult, like for me, my loss of my son and saying, I am going to switch that into something positive, a meaningful purpose by coming alongside other parents who are grieving a loss of a child. And so that is how we can find a beautiful purpose for our pain, saying, I will not let this overwhelm me. I will not allow this pain to suck up any joy that I, I want to experience. And so when we kind of turn it on its head and say that very thing that I resent, losing my son, I am going to use it to become a better person, a better friend. I am going to seek out people who have also lost a child and I am going to come alongside them and share hope. That's how you find a meaningful purpose for your pain. I absolutely love that as well. Um, how do you define holidays, anniversaries, uh, birthdays, celebrations right now? Uh, you mentioned uh, the Mother's Day. Uh, mm. ago. And um, th these are normally very happy days and uh, people tend to, again, tend to, tend to celebrate. But then when you go through a loss, there is always that um, sense of, yeah, that person should have been there and, uh, and is not. How can you embrace the, everything that that person gave you Mm. Well, you know, often for many people, it's the, the week or the days leading up to that significant date um, that are so hard. Um, but I said, I found that when I planned something intentional um, to mark that day, like say Jordan's birthday, we um, often have a meal that he would love. And then we share memories about him. We talk about him. We sometimes we're roasting him, like kind of teasing things about him and uh, making fun of him. And but remembering him. And other days we would include friends and do something together. Um, we actually set up a scholarship at the university he graduated with for other students. And so we would invite people to donate on his birthday towards that scholarship, so other students could have the experience that he did. Um, to pay it forward, to look for ways that you can leverage that uh, special day um, and just make it one of love and, and remembrance instead of sadness. I mean, of course, you're going to be tearful. Of course, you're going to be sad. But to honor their memory um, in meaningful ways is you start to 
not avoid those days or, 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 or be so reluctant to face them. And um, I mean, we eat Rolo ice cream in honor of Jordan. That's his favorite. We eat, you know, steak and crab legs on special occasions because he loved that. And he loved, you know, submarine sandwiches. And, you know, so we just, we keep his memory going by honoring him on those special days. You wrote this uh, beautiful book and you are now uh, working as a grief coach. In your experience, what are the, the things that people need the most? First of all, do you work mostly with people going through grief themselves or people that want to support someone else going through grief? Yeah, I really concentrate on helping people, the friends of the griever. The friends like the younger me who didn't know what to say or what to do and feel so uncertain because this was me too, where sometimes the fear of saying the wrong thing kept me from doing anything. And I realize now that avoidance feels like indifference to the griever and indifference feels more wounding than hate. Is like, where, where are they? Like, why are they silent? And so I believe that we can actually alleviate depression and anxiety by empowering people to share hope with others. And so I really concentrate on give, giving best practices to those who want to know, how do I support my grieving friends? I think we can change the world if we have hope heroes everywhere. And so that really is my focus. And perhaps there is a need for some good forgiveness about it. You know, this podcast is called Forgive and Thrive. And um, this was um, some sort of journey that I went through. I had to forgive a lot and self-forgiving particularly some, uh, some stuff. In, in my journey uh, in recent years uh, in order to come back and, and thrive again. And I, yeah. I uh, realized that forgiveness is very powerful in that sense. And whether it's forgiveness of someone else or forgiveness of myself, they are both very, uh, very important to go back to life and, and thrive. What are your thoughts about it? And is there any room when it comes to, uh, to grief? Oh, forgiveness is so vital. Um, Dr. David Jeremiah says that um, forgiveness does not change the past, but it enlarges the future. And I believe so much about that because I had to forgive on many levels. I had to forgive God because I believe that you know, I, for me, that was so hurtful and it felt so painful that he would allow that to happen. I had to forgive Jordan for dying, for uh, being so um, enthusiastic on his work site that he made a wrong decision and it was a fatal decision. I had to forgive him for leaving us. I had to forgive myself for not protecting my son. And that, that sounds ridiculous because he's an adult and I have really no... <laughs> ability to do that. But as a parent, you're entrusted with this child and you feel like it is your job to protect them. And I, I just, I felt guilty that I could not protect my son. And so I had to forgive myself. I had to forgive the people who were uncertain how to come around us. So they didn't come. They were absent. Uh, I had to forgive 
um, oh, sorry, there were so many pieces to that forgiveness. And yet I had to come to that place where I could not thrive if, if I did not, if I held on to unforgiveness. And so that was definitely something I had to work through. And, and it took, took a while. Uh, I can uh, completely uh, understand that. And um, my experience was uh, exactly the same. It's, uh, I always say it's a journey. It's, uh, it's never at one single moment. Oh. Uh, you know, it's not like switching the yeah. light on. So uh, absolutely. Shirley, I, I would love to come back to you. I'm uh, aware of the time. And I would like to know what is uh, next for you and uh, where are you taking now this uh, uh, beautiful story of yours? Yeah, well, um, people can find my book um, on Amazon or my website, shirleythiessen.com. Also on my website, I have created a course called Hope Heroes, a framework for sharing hope with the brokenhearted. So it's an online on-demand course. It's two hours of content organized into just five easy to digest videos. So you can do this with your family, with um, some friends. Um, but what it does is just, it's like me inviting you into my home and we're having a conversation and I'm just sharing with you the four steps that a hope hero does. Listen, acknowledge the loss, pray and patiently be present. And I just unpack that uh, quite a bit deeper. And uh, in doing so, just want to inspire people to be hope heroes and recognize the, the immense impact that they can have in someone else's life. And so, yeah, that's, that's the thrust of what I do and also share on podcasts and in person. So I, uh, I really appreciate you and just your courage in having this grief conversation. So thank you. No, thank you for sharing uh, so much. But before going, I want to ask you one final question. If there was just one take home message that you would uh, like everybody else listening uh, to remember from this uh, conversation, what that would be? I would say, please remember that as a friend of someone who's grieving, you don't have to fix the pain of their loss, but you have the privilege and the honor of helping to carry it. So please express empathy, choose to express empathy. That's, that's beautiful. So uh, we will put all uh, the links and uh, to your book and uh, your website in the description of today's episode uh, so people can uh, just find you and uh, uh, know more about your, your experience, your course, and what you are doing to share your story. So, Thank you. Uh, absolutely, it's uh, uh, my pleasure. Well, uh, with this, I hope that this episode has provided food for thoughts on how to go through the grief from losing a significant person in your life. Albeit difficult doesn't mean that your life ends there. And you can continue your journey through life just remembering to be kind towards yourself. I found this quote that uh, I want to leave you with you today, and it's from uh, Patty Davis, uh, an American actress and author who, was also, who is also the daughter of former US President Ronald Reagan, who said, it takes strength to make your way through grief to grab hold of life and let it pull you forward. Shelley, thank you so much for uh, 
being with us today, for sharing so much, uh, especially on a topic that is so intimate and uh, private as losing someone uh, dear to you. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Thank you so much and thank you for uh, the message and uh, the mission that you, you are taking forward. Awesome. Well, we would love to know what you think about this topic and uh, are you dealing with grief of losing a significant person in your life? If there are challenges that perhaps you are going through that we didn't address today, please let us know, get in touch. Also, don't forget to check Shirley's website and to follow her uh, on social media. Uh, to check the book, uh, obviously, we will put all the links in the description of today's episode. Finally, if you have been affected in any way by the topic we discussed today, as always, I invite you to seek professional help. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at forgiventrive at gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.